Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us today on this Monday, February the 6th, 2023. I am so excited about the week ahead. We have just a number of great uh, opportunities to, to really grow in the Lord, strengthen our faith, and, and get the gospel out there, which is what uh, we uh, are all about here at NBW Ministries, uh, the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. But you are in for a treat this morning on our podcast. I've got a very dear friend and a very fascinating guest that's going to be joining us in just a moment, and I'll introduce him. And we're going to spend the time this morning talking about uh, artificial intelligence and particularly chat GPT. Now, we've mentioned that a few times uh, uh, in recent conferences that I've been at, and I've gotten several emails from folks, and, and including some over the weekend, and I uh, have responded by saying, hey, tune in Monday morning because we're going to be talking to an expert about that, and I uh, can't wait to, to dive into that here in a moment. But want to mention just a few uh, things upcoming. First of all, don't forget tomorrow night we live stream at 6 o'clock Mountain from Plum Creek Chapel with our weekly prophecy night with Not By Works Ministries. And that got off to a great start last week, uh, just a fascinating study. Uh, it's an hour and a half, so we start out with a few minutes of music for those that are live in-house, in, in person. And then I come on with a live stream at about 6.15 or so. We go for an hour of teaching, and then we close out with you know, 15, 30 minutes of Q&A, and that's always a, a great time. So I hope you'll join us if you're in the Denver metro area tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at Plum Creek Chapel. You can go to Not works.org and learn more about that right there on the highlight carousel. If you're not in Denver and you'd like to live stream, just tune into Not By Works, click the live stream button, and you'll see us there at uh, 6 o'clock shortly thereafter when we come on with the teaching time uh, tomorrow. Of course, it will be uploaded as a podcast uh, late tomorrow night and also the full video as well showing all the slides. That'll be available tomorrow night if you're not able to join us at uh, 6 o'clock. But several other podcasts have dropped over the weekend. We were pleased to be on with Jan Markell again over the weekend. That's a fascinating uh, interview. She always does such a, an excellent job. Uh, she actually uh, reached out yesterday to say that she's getting a lot of great comments. And we'll be on again next weekend, by the way, with part two of that interview with her. And we so appreciate Olive Tree Ministries and, and all that they're helping us with and getting this important message for such a time as this out. Uh, several more interviews have dropped with Prophecy Watchers. Um, I really enjoyed my time with Orlando, uh, with Amando uh, Gonzalez. And man, he is just a powerhouse of knowledge and such a great interviewer. And so we had several shorter podcasts that we did that are uh, still coming out each day and also some uh, TV show interviews in the studio. Uh, and you can watch for those here in the coming weeks. If you haven't watched the one we did with Gary, that's uh, out there from last week. And that was also a fantastic interview. I really love Gary Stearman and appreciate him. He's kind of a one of those guys that I really look up to. Uh, so several other uh, podcasts and videos are available. Uh, yesterday at Plum Creek, we had another packed house, and I talked about from the book of Acts, uh, the nature of suffering. Kind of funny how as we go verse by verse through the book of Acts, it seems that the topics that we address correspond perfectly with what is coming down the pike here in our country. So I encourage you to watch that video or listen to that podcast. We also did a Q&A session at the nine o'clock hour yesterday on end times theology. And so that's available out there as well. Finally, just want to mention, don't forget the upcoming events uh, uh, we, here in the next uh, two to three weeks. We'll be doing two prophecy conferences in Orlando. We'll be it in uh, Claremont, Florida uh, for the uh, What in the World is Going On 
or I'm sorry, let me correct that. What is this world coming to? Either one works. I tell you what, it's a crazy time. But that's so what is this world coming to in Claremont, Florida, February 18th and 19th? That's a solo conference. I'll be speaking seven times there at Liberty Baptist. But then uh, two weeks later, we're privileged to be a part of the Orlando Prophecy Summit hosted by Prophecy Watchers with a number of other uh, speakers. And that runs uh, March the 5th through the 8th at the Orlando Hotel and Conference Center there in Orlando. So both of those will be live streamed uh, by the conferences themselves. You can click on the events page at notbyworks.org and learn more about them. They do require registration. The first one is free. The second one, there's a cost. Uh, but I hope you'll live stream that if you can or uh, join us in Orlando and come by and see us at the uh, resource table. My uh, family will be with me. Love to introduce you to my wonderful wife, Wendy, who really, truth be told, is the brains behind this whole operation. So she has just uh, uh, the love of my life and and really been undergirding all that we've done in advancing the grace message for over 30 years now. So love for you to meet her and and some of my other kids and my little granddaughter. So uh, with that, I want to turn our attention today to uh, my uh, dear friend and colleague, Shane, I've known for Goodness, so over 20 years for sure, uh, going back to uh, probably met him in 99 or 2000. So I guess that'd be 23 years. And uh, if you have read my Spirit of the Antichrist books, then you know in the introduction to Volume 1, I mention a guy named Shane. Well, this is the guy, Shane. Uh, he has really had a profound influence in my life over the years, both uh, theologically and just in terms of really waking up to the world as it really exists. And so I won't retell that story, but I encourage you to read the introduction to Volume 1, uh, and you can kind of get the backstory. But uh, Shane and I worked together for about uh, 12 years or so. Uh, or actually about six years at a baccalaureate level at a college that I was at. At the time, he was the IT director. But he's got more than 30 years uh, heavy experience in both a consulting and full-time roles at various uh, companies and institutions. He's currently uh, applying his information technology skills to the realm of distance education at a major uh, Bible college. But uh, when I started getting a lot of information and requests and seeing a lot of chatter about this new technology called ChatGPT. Of course, he was the first one I called, and he uh, is really, there's no one better out there to uh, talk about this and kind of put it in layman's terms and help us understand how ChatGPT relates to the Luciferian transhumanist plan. You know, I've, I've talked many times at, at conferences and in the book about how the root of the Luciferian conspiracy is the desire to be God. I mean, that's how it all started. Satan wanted to be God. Uh, the Bible tells us he he wanted to ascend above the heights of the clouds and be like the Most High, Isaiah 14, verse 14. And so uh, clearly part of the, the agenda of his human accomplices, the Luciferian elite, as they call themselves, uh, is you know this idea of transcending humanity, creating a new humanity. And it all goes back to Julian Huxley's uh, 1957 paper that was entitled Transhumanism. He's the one that coined uh, that term. And Julian comes from a long line of, of Luciferian global elites. Uh, he was the uh, director of UNESCO from 1946 to 1948, coming out of World War II, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. A lot of people don't realize the negative connotations of UNESCO. It is one of those huge globalist think tanks that they use to advance the Luciferian 
uh, agenda. But transhumanism is uh, Satan's big lie, and there are different aspects of it. I'm hoping we can get into some of that with Shane uh, here in a moment. But essentially, they want to obliterate the Imago Dei, and they're they're using both the genetic side as well as the technology side. We have a section in Volume 2 of uh, Spirit of the Antichrist in Chapter 3 called Exploring Biodigital Convergence, and I encourage you to read that for more information and kind of a backdrop to what we're talking about on the podcast today. But I am just really um, almost giddy with excitement to have my friend Shane with us. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't usually get nervous with guests, but he makes me nervous because he's just so smart and edu- and well-studied, and uh, and yet he just talks to you like you're his best friend. So Shane, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to help uh, dialogue with me and inform our listeners more about this uh, chat GPT. Absolutely, JB. Glad to be here. So first of all, for those who may not be aware, kind of give us the the basic uh, chat GPT for dummies, if you will. Uh, what does it stand for? What is it? How does it you know, relate to AI? Just kind of take the floor here and, and, and sort of bring us up to speed. Okay. Yeah. So chat GPT is a application of the underlying technology, which is called GPT. Uh, GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer, and so it's a it's a type of AI that we would you know, is is going to be categorized typically as a large language model, and and that part's really important to keep in mind. So something like ChatGPT or one of the other ones out there, Lambda, um, and there's um, Meta, which used to be Facebook, is working on on their version of it, and I'm sure a number of other companies. Uh, what they do is they, they take a large body of textual data and they uh, there's some level of categorization that, that goes on ahead of time. But essentially it's fed to a neural network. And a neural network is a type of, of AI that is uh, simulates a human brain. Uh, they, they study the way biological brains work and try to duplicate that with technology. And let me interject. That's some of our listeners may be familiar with uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink, and that's the same idea: trying to create a brain or a technology that will interface directly with the brain, so that they can really, really read your mind and and do predictive programming and ultimately replace the mind. Isn't that the goal? Um, it, it could be. You know, I, I want to. Since I haven't seen anything that directly states that's their goal, I'm going to stop short of that. But I think that's a, a definite potential abuse. We start talking about the brain-computer interfaces like Neuralink. Um, well, you know, now, and to be fair, I don't think we really have a working Neuralink, uh, at least one that's made to human test. Um, but there are uh, there are some out there, um, and uh, and so yes, yeah, so that ability to uh, you know possibly correct uh, physical issues, like maybe we could restore sight to the blind. With a BCI interface, uh, maybe learning would become better, um, but we don't know what other kind kinds of risk or uh, manipulation that could occur to the human because of BCI interface. And BCI again for our listeners stands for brain computer interface, and that I think we can we can visualize that we kind of understand conceptually what we're talking about here: a, a computer technology that interfaces with the human brain. So, so generative pre-trained transformers, GPT, uh, basically it's an application that 
creates things, right? It's a form of artificial intelligence that uses what you called large language model, and it essentially takes a huge textual data set and then uses that to um, to create things. So give us some examples of how we might have come across that technology in everyday use today. Well, so I, I, it's, it's not a GPT technology, but some of the uh, math behind it is similar. Let's say you're working on your, sending a message in your smartphone and you see it suggests words. And, and, and many times those words are right. That's exactly the word you want to use. So you can just tap it, click it, you know, however the interface is working. And, um, and it inserts that for you. It saves you a step. So it's, it's kind of like that, but it's such a different, much more complex uh, and capable technology that you can't even compare it at some levels to what we have on the smartphones. So it's, uh, you, you can give chat GPT a, a prompt, a question, and it can be really complex. And in a matter of seconds, because of the, the neural network that has been examining the data that they've trained it on, um, it is able to come back with very human sounding responses. In, in just a matter of seconds. Yeah. So give me an example of that. I, I remember, you know, one of the early exposures I had to this was when you and I were exchanging uh, text, I think it was, and you sent me a link to a, a basically a research paper about a theological topic that uh, chat GPT had written. And it was amazing to me. You know, I'm a theologian by trade. That's what my PhD is in. I love systematic theology, even though we, in the recent years, have spent a lot of time providing commentary and insight on global events through the lens of Scripture. Uh, My mind thinks systematically when it comes to God's Word and comparing Scripture with Scripture. And so I remember being fascinated about that, and it kind of reminded me of uh, one of the sections that I talked about in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, but Lambda is Google's version of this type of technology, and I, I reproduced the transcript in there uh, that one of the Google engineers had in a conversation with this AI, Lambda, the, the technology there, and he actually was able to provide rather uh, deep uh, critical analysis, the AI was, of a novel that he had read, and it really sounded like a human being, and it sounded very sentient. And the same thing was true when I read this uh, this article. So re- kind of retell that story, if you will. What was, if you remember, what was the topic? And tell us more about that theology discussion. You, you want me to talk about the theology paper I had it right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so... Um, AI has been an interest of mine since high school. So, uh, of course, the systems back then were were completely crude compared to what we have today. So, so one of the ways you can cut down on your your testing time is to throw some things out, uh, ask the AI questions that you don't believe it's going to have the ability to answer. Right. So you're seeing really, you know, what how far out you need to uh, do your testing. So I thought something it'll never be able to do is theology. And so here's an actual prompt uh, that I, I I gave it. Um, I, I told ChatGPT, that's the technology that I was using here, as opposed to something like Lambda or, or some of the other uh, uh, systems out there, discuss the topic of election versus free will theology. Provide a summary of the historical development of these positions. Include the strengths and weaknesses of each position. 
include a section that compares and contrasts the two positions. And in a matter of five to seven seconds, it gave me, I'm gonna say, what is this? Seven paragraphs. And it was pretty good. Uh, I won't take the time to read it here. Uh, JB, I'll send it to you just uh, for, for your use. But as a college prof in, in the Bible and theology area, uh, if this were a, a freshman uh, essay, it would have been an A essay. It, wow. it, was, it was good. And I, I'd had, and I did a lot of other uh, things like that, uh, such as um, discuss the impact of dispensationalism on modern evangelical Christianity. Hmm. And I thought, there's no way. And sure enough, it gave me a pretty decent response. Um, and it's and it's very different. Also, it's not that it gave me a paragraph. It probably gave me five or six paragraphs discussing that. So the depth of the responses is so much better than what we're we're, we're kind of trained to expect with tools like Google or other search engines. Yeah, and it, it's 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 you know flows. I mean, it's arguments made with supporting arguments, and it's logical. It's not just a bunch of random facts or isolated sentences. And, you know, the implications of this are pretty broad, you know, on a very practical sense going all the way down. You know, I remember from my 12 years in in academics, and for six of those, I was vice president of academics, you know, plagiarism is always an issue in higher ed. And plagiarism technically means uh, taking someone else's thoughts or ideas and passing them off as your own without, you know, attribution. And so, uh, in the past, we it was pretty simple. Once digital technology came out and students started using the internet, you know, you could run papers through a, a software and it would find if there's anything else out there with that exact verbiage. And then, of course, they would they would flunk and get in some cases expelled for plagiarism, depending on how strict a standard the institution has. But these days. Uh, that's not the case anymore because as you just demonstrated you can ask chat gpt to write a paper for you and it's not simply reproducing sentences that it harvests from the internet that are already out there it's constructing ideas unique uh to its you know verbiage am, am i right on that absolutely that's part of that generative part of, of gpt um, it is creating these and what's interesting is you can ask the same question multiple times, and you're going to get slightly different texts. And what, after playing with it a while, what it struck me as is it's like if if uh, I were sitting in in a conference or a class, excuse me, that, that you uh, uh, did every year, and I compared a recording of the, this particular session with one that occurs later. They're not going to be identical. There's going to be a significant amount of overlap. Um, you know, if we had a Venn diagram, you know, 80, 90% overlap, but there'd be some differences. Same thing occurs here with ChatGPT. It was really interesting. It was, it was much more like talking with somebody uh, where they had some expertise, had some things to say in this area. And if you talk to them about it multiple times, you'd get a little bit different versions each time. Um, still, again, substantially the same argument. But you know, they might include something uh, uh, this time that they didn't include the first time. Chat GPT models that. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's what really is so 
stunning to it. Now it's it's more stunning to lay, laymen like myself who haven't been really following and have their finger on the pulse of the the technology behind it, the back end. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's one thing to just regurgitate an answer. It's another thing to be able to express the same. Uh, principles, because you know, Chat GPT in these instances, it's not changing its view. It's not giving a variety of views. It's just restating what it's already said, but with slightly different verbiage. The same way, for example, the Apostle Paul might discuss justification by faith, but he's going to use different terms at times and discuss it and come at it from a different angle. But it doesn't change the general uh, idea that you know we can only be justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So any good writer or speaker or theologian you know, knows to how to kind of watch for repetition. And uh, you, you, know, you don't want to be repetitive. You want to make your point, but you want to kind of express it in a unique way. So so uh, to explain to me how how does GPT or chat GPT work? In other words, is this something that anybody can just go to a website and and do the kinds of experiments you're doing? Do you have to subscribe to it or what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so so anybody so chat GPT is a product, okay? Um so it's it's this is from a company called OpenAI. If you go to openai.com, you can sign up for a free account. And can try ChatGPT along with a, a few other uh, forms of AI that they've made available. And there there are paid versions apparently that are rolling out for ChatGPT that offer better performance and um, and I suspect uh, maybe a little bit better answers at some point. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe maybe get access to a newer data set that the AI has been trained on. I'm not I'm not sure yet, um, but but that is rolling out. So yeah, anybody can go to openai.com and make an account. And so again, going back to the the, the acronym GPT stands for generative. That's the creative part. But then pre-trained is the P. And the significance of that is that this uh, application does not have open access to the internet. It's drawing from a specific body of textual data that is provided to it by the creators of the software, I guess. Correct. Yeah, the the, the engineers, um, you know, based upon decisions, of course, that, that happen probably at higher levels uh, within uh, OpenAI, um, they decide this is going to be the, the the text sources that will form the corpus of data that we train GPT on. And so, so yeah, you're right. It's not open access to the internet, so it's it's going to have limited knowledge in certain areas. Something that just happened. I like say, uh, uh, if there's an earthquake in some part of the world, chat GPT might not know about it because it occurred after that last time it was trained. Um, and also, you know, because it's not everything, just naturally it has to, you have to be selective. And there's just going to be some things it won't have knowledge of because it wasn't part of that corpus of, of data. Wow, that that is that is fascinating. So, uh, so that brings me to the next uh, related topic, which is bias. And um, I've seen a lot of articles recently, uh, including one just from uh, three days ago, that on Summit News 
that talk about the bias within chat GPT. For example, this particular article, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, who I've followed for years, uh, he talks about how it was chat GPT was able to write a poem praising Hunter Biden, but it refused to write a poem about Marjorie Taylor Greene. So now those of you still locked into the, the false left right paradigm are going to really be bothered by that. Of course, in my mind, I think Chat GPT should write a poem, uh, you know, criticizing both Hunter and Marjorie Taylor Greene because I think they're all part of the controlled Luciferian agenda. But still, it does demonstrate that whoever is pre-training, you know, to to coin that that phrase that's from the the, the acronym Chat GPT, whoever's uploading the selected data sets, uh, and they're huge. It's it's like you said, it's a large language model, right? Uh, but whoever's yes. doing that clearly has bias. So uh, you know, it it's not in my mind that huge when it comes to the so-called right and left, conservative, progressive, and so forth. But it could be pretty significant when it comes to more fundamental issues of life and sanctity of life and morality as we get closer and closer uh, to the end times. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw one, another app, you know, you know, sort of anecdote relating to the dangers of, or maybe dangers is the wrong word, but just the application of chat GPT in real life, where they asked it to write a worship song, <laughs> And, uh, you know, for, you know, for churches and uh, not that we need any other Luciferian tools writing worship songs. I mean, we've got Hillsong and and, and all of those. But uh, but anyway, uh, it wrote a song that goes, you hold me close. You never let me go in your arms. I find my strength to grow with every step. I know you're by my side with you. I'll conquer every fear and tide. You are my everything. You light up my way in your love. I find home each day with every breath. I'll sing your praises high. You are my King. You are my reason why you wipe away my tears. You heal my pain with you. I'll never walk alone again. Your grace and mercy. They never fade with you. I'll never be afraid. Well, you know, uh, if if you and I, Shane, as as uh, theologians and and academicians, were to take the 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 lyrics that I just read, created by Chat GPT, and run them through the grid of Scripture, I'm not sure we would find any blatant heresy or anything that doesn't comport with the way God reveals Himself to us in His Word. So, is Chat GPT going to put, uh, you know, Christian music writers out of business? That. That's a part of a, a, a large question in that will tools like ChatGPT, um, and, and again, I, you know, I, I want us to keep in mind ChatGPT is a product from a company. Um, so so we'll, we'll need to see what happens in the marketplace uh, over the next months and, and even a few years, but it's moving so fast. I think months is probably a better way to look at this. Um, what is it going to do to uh, content creators of any kind? So, for example, one of the other uh, tools from, from OpenAI is called Dali, and you can give it uh, textual descriptions of an image you want. And in a matter of, you know, probably 20 seconds, it'll come back with images for you of whatever you ask for. So, yeah, let, let me interject uh, yeah. there because... Um... I've got some personal anecdote uh, there. One of my daughters is a student at Grand Canyon University, and she's an incredibly gifted artist. All of my children are, both musically and uh, in terms of various forms of art, painting, drawing, digital, uh, all of that. And so she is studying or was studying uh, digital uh, 
uh, art and uh, and she ha- she changed her major recently because the experts there uh, in higher ed that are in that field uh, acknowledge that you know the people doing digital animation which is what she was going to do both for productions and television and ad campaigns any any form of digital production digital animation rather uh that they were going that that's a dying field that because of ai they're going to do, be able to do exactly what you just said uh, companies will be able to simply purchase a software type in a description of what they want and it will create the uh, the 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 artwork for you. Whereas now, uh, if you if you decide you want to create some marketing pieces, you know, for your business or for your um, ministry, uh, you know, like one of my daughters works for our ministry now, and she's an incredibly gifted artist as well, and she does a lot of the artwork that you see on uh, our messages and podcasts and videos and so forth. Uh, I just say, hey, here's what I'm going for. Here's the the idea. Here's the text. And she creates something. Well, it, with this type of technology, Shane, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, to to do that through through a software application, right? Absolutely. So what we will have at some point, once these systems mature a bit more, and you know, by a, a bit more, if I were to tie that back to a calendar, we're talking within the next year at, at the most. Um, there will be staff augmentation at a minimum uh, that's coming from AI systems. So, for example, maybe I don't uh, subscribe to, if I'm in graphic, the graphics area, I don't subscribe to a company's offerings where they have a portfolio of stock that I can use, right? Pictures I can use in publications. Maybe I just tell the AI what I'm looking for and it generates a unique copyright free image for me to use so yeah it's going to there's there's a lot of fields that would be impacted by this wow that's creative um one of them i think of is is radiology uh for years now the ai systems these expert systems uh that that look at is a different technology it's not a, a gpt but it's uh looking at the differences between images because their ability to detect variations in, say, the MRI image um, are much better than a human, they've been better at identifying the issue in an X-ray, an MRI, whatever it is, than humans for probably five or six years now. Wow. So there's going to be the medical field's going to be impacted by this. Uh, by, by the way, if I remember correctly, ChatGPT uh, recently... Uh, passed both legal and uh, medical entrance exams. Yeah, so, I saw that. Yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. Uh, it was the medical exam. I didn't hear about the legal, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Because yeah, I think it was a, a law school also. Somebody passed uh, uh, at least an essay. You know that that one of the profs said, "Yeah, this would have been a a solid essay from a human." Yeah, and and I want to emphasize again something you've mentioned a couple times, and that is this is a product. So it there are others out there, and uh, I kind of liken it to the whole uh, CBDC uh, uh, issue, uh, uh, central bank digital currencies, which I've spoken about quite a bit, and we talk about it in volume two of Spirit of the Antichrist. 
And so folks are pretty familiar with Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is just one form of cryptocurrency. And, you know, I'm not sitting here suggesting, and, and, and just to close the thought there, in the same way, chat GPT is one form of this, you know, uh, large language model, you know, uh, type of uh, AI. Uh, so I'm not suggesting, and I know you certainly aren't either, that chat GPT is somehow a mark of the beast or it's somehow the, the Antichrist tool that he's going to use by name. But what it does do is it shows that the stage is being set technologically for this type of uh, tool to be either commandeered globally and, and rolled out as a, a unified system globally or certainly for rogue elements, uh, even before the rapture, uh, to use it in a nefarious uh, in a nefarious way. Um, you know, so many implications. I think of how fast this is moving, uh, and it, it, things are changing before our very eyes. Again, you know, my daughter, she's now majoring in worship arts, and uh, she's a gifted musician as well. But um, you know, she's having to change her major because. You know, used to you'd have to be looking decades down the road to see a trend and say, "Well, I don't want to get my, I don't want to become trained in this particular field because over the next twenty, thirty, forty years it might phase out." Well, now we're talking months for things uh, to phase out. Um, I mean, I can remember, and I know you'll appreciate this too, Shane. Years ago, the the, the problem with a lot of the apostate churches where pastors were were literally plagiarizing their sermons. And I remember one example where a church that I had some family members that went to, each week the pastor got up and read his sermons, and someone started going back and listening to the tapes and transcribing them and then searching the internet, and they found them verbatim from places like SermonCentral.com or whatever they were called at the time. And so, uh, but this changes that, because now a apostate pastor who doesn't believe in studying the Word of God for himself can simply type in an idea, hey, I need a good Mother's Day sermon. And and this technology will spit out a unique, copyright-free, never seen before in this exact framework, right, uh, sermon that he can then pass off as his own. So that, that's got to be troubling to you, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring up the, the issue of sermons. A friend of mine who is a pastor, uh, I was talking to him about this, uh, sent the video of the guy who's a worship, Christian worship leader who had chat GPT write a worship song, and then he set it to music, and it was it would have blended in with anything on your standard contemporary Christian music uh, stations. Um, he was intrigued by it, and so he had it write him a sermon, and he said it was pretty good. Huh. You know, he if, if he had heard that sermon preached, he wouldn't think anything was amiss. So do you think that, and I know this gets into the speculative realm, but do you think that uh, the powers that be are going to try to roll out this technology more mainstream? Because right now it's it's kind of bleeding edge stuff, really, uh, to the average person walking the street. Do you think there's a chance they may try to roll this out and and present it as a positive thing and highlight all the positive things you can do, like you mentioned in the medical field and uh, and even in other fields uh, that don't have a biblical theological, you know, relationship, 
because uh, I believe, obviously, it's wrong for anybody to ask an artificial intelligence to write your sermons for you. I mean, God gave us his word. We're supposed to be good stewards of it. We're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. And I don't think it's rightly dividing the word to ask a computer program to spit out a sermon. But uh, they could they could frame that in, in a positive, right? And then it could become something that we are all acclimated to and become familiar with. And and like so many other things, you know, smartphones and all kinds of other technology, suddenly we're kind of hoisted by our own petard, to quote Shakespeare. Absolutely. While I do think there are, are many, many, many positive things we're going to get from uh, some of these AI systems, um, you know, things like uh, computer vision so that a car can drive itself, um, that's going to be a very positive thing. Um, so. You know, so, so there's going to be great things that come from this, but like any other technology, it's going to be abused. Um, yeah, Satan likes to take what God meant for good, yeah. twist it and pervert it, and use it for his evil. He is the ultimate enemy. He's the he's the one who, ever since he got kicked out of heaven, has been trying to take over the earth. And his Luciferian co-conspirators, the human beings that are worshiping him and, and working at his behest, they view him as the hero in the Genesis account. And, you know, God is the antagonist. The serpent is the protagonist. And they dedicate their books to him. I'm going to be talking about the rise of the Antichrist and false prophet tomorrow night at our Prophecy Night at Plum Creek. I hope you folks uh, can t tune into that if you're not in Denver. Uh, tune in at six o'clock mountain time uh, for that live stream. But we're going to be getting into some of the signs of the times and the way the stage is being set uh, uh, prophetically. But yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, talking about the, the you know, application of it to automobiles already, you know, we've seen you know, huge leaps in technology. Um, we, uh, a year ago, uh, got a new vehicle. We we had had the newest vehicle we had had at the time was, I think it was 15 years old. And with all the travel that we do, we needed a dependable uh, car. So we bought a new vehicle. Well, it was the first time I had had any exposure to uh, this automatic braking and this uh, seeing if there's cars in front of you. And it didn't take long to get used to that. I love on, on, on our road trips as we travel for ministry, being on the interstate, uh, setting it on cruise control. And getting in the you know the slow lane, a comfortable speed, not driving like a maniac in the fast lane. But then if it approaches a car in front of me, it automatically slows down. Um, and so if I'm sort of daydreaming or you know not really on my game, I'll I'll feel the car start to slow down. Well, what has happened is now when I drive some of our other vehicles or a rental car, for example, that doesn't have that, I've my body has kind of become conditioned that. You know, as I'm approaching the car in front of me, I don't really need to tap the brakes because the car will slow down for me. And then suddenly I realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not in my car. I better hit the brakes because I'm getting pretty close to that car in front of me, you know. So Absolutely. it's just an incredible learning curve, isn't it? Absolutely. And so the thing that that uh, I think all of us are going to uh, have to deal with here in the very near future is I don't I, I don't think AI is going to replace everybody's job. Um, it will replace some jobs, however. There will be some job loss from it, but all of us are going to have to learn to work alongside the machines, and, and that's going to be a real challenge. Uh, we, we, we've never really encountered something like this before. The closest would be the Industrial Revolution, um, but this is going to be so pervasive that everyone's going to be affected by it. There's just no doubt about that. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of the Industrial Revolution, that's why Klaus Schwab calls it the fourth IR, the yep. fourth Industrial Revolution. And uh, Google, which you mentioned, has their version of this technology. They call it Lambda. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who I think is still with Google, I'm not positive. Do you know? Is he still with Google? I, I think I think he's mm. still with them. Yeah. yeah. So he's widely considered a trailblazer and, and sort of spokesman for the transhumanist movement. But he said quite bluntly, quote, our desire is to create a post-human species. Yep. And then when he was asked by a reporter if God exists, he quipped, not yet, implying that man can create God. And yep. then, you know, another well-known champion of transhumanist ideology, Elon Musk, admitted that transhumanism is not just about reversing aging or the pursuit of immortality. He said, quote, soon we'll be able to turn you into a, and then he inserted an expletive, butterfly if we want to. We can turn humans into butterflies. That That's just the way their minds work. I mean, these people are Luciferians to the core, and many of them, especially at the mid-level, they don't necessarily understand the spiritual implications of what's going on. They don't recognize that they are part of a larger satanic conspiracy. Uh, they just are fascinated by science and technology. But I tell you what, at the top tier, as I outline quite clearly in, in both volumes of Spirit of the Antichrist— we are dealing with Satan's accomplices who worship him, sacrifice to him, drink blood, and, and take their orders from him. And we need to remember that ultimately, this is a spiritual battle. So we're not suggesting that these types of technology, as you so articulately put it a moment ago, are demonic of in and of themselves. There are a lot of great things that have come from technology, medically and, and otherwise. Uh, but Satan is going to take these same advancements, these same technologies, and use them as a weapon in his game plan, which is ultimately full-spectrum planetary control. That, that kind of abuse is already happening. For example, there are people using the image generation uh, AI tools out there um, to create sexually explicit content um, even though it's you know not real people, it's all AI generated, but they are creating porn. Yeah, putting it out there, um, and, and in so doing, they're skirting the laws because I, I don't think the laws have caught up to that yet, or at least not universally, right? Probably not. Yeah, I, I, I know some of this has been questioned for a while, like in the areas of child porn. Could computer-generated images? So we we're not dealing with an actual human subject, but could computer-generated images of child porn be considered illegal? And I believe the answer to that in the U.S. at least was yes, but I'm not. I'd have to go back and look at that. That's been a few years since since that came up. Yeah, yeah. just just amazing. Yeah, what are some other, you know, as a as a technology expert and someone who has firsthand knowledge of Chat GPT, what are some other nefarious uh, uses of this type of technology that that have you concerned? Well, I think I think probably the, the the largest potential abuse of this kind of technology is when the right now these tools are novel. Um, you know, you have to go out and you have to create that account at OpenAI. Um, you have to take steps to go and use it explicitly. Well, companies are starting to license this kind of technology to embed in other products they sell. So it's been widely reported in the news that Microsoft is uh, either has done it or is looking at investing $10 billion into OpenAI so that they can include these products in their tools. 
uh, you know, and like I said, Google's going to do it. Facebook's going to do it. IBM's got systems out there. So there's going to be this pervasive AI presence within a, a year or two. It's, it's and, and so explain how that might impact, uh, you know, let's say they do it, they invest it, they embed it in their, you know, Microsoft Word software or whatever, you know, whatever other software they have. How How is that going to be working behind the scenes or underneath the surface and, and, and we don't even realize it? Can you give us an example? Yeah, so... So, so the benign use, the good use of it is, uh, let's say you're you're in a company and, and you get seventy five emails a day, and it's a major chore to respond to those. So you could have an AI system scan the email, give you a brief summary of what it's about, and maybe even uh, if you wanted to reduce your responses uh, to clicking a button. So I want to respond to this person that, yes, this is a good idea. I'm going to move forward. Maybe I can click a button. And the AI writes a response that embodies that sentiment and sends it for me. Um, you know, or a negative response or, or whatever. So there's going to be some, some good uses of the AI. The, uh, where the concern in my mind is going to come from is, is in a few places. One is when this technology is not only widely available, uh, but is also trusted. That trust is a key thing. Um, then if due to unintentional or intentional AI bias is, is presented, it could be used just like we've seen out of social media and, and other things um, to, to shape people's opinions. Um, people could be very subtly controlled and manipulated using technology like this. And and that's not a, a big stretch of imagination because we've already seen that kind of abuse on much less sophisticated technology. Um, yeah, is, much, it, that deception be with you know more exceptional technology. Yeah, no question. Isn't that kind of the same thing with the uh, with Twitter bots and things like that where they send out these massive uh, what are really fake tweets, but everybody thinks they're real, and then it shapes human opinion. Yes, and, and and so what makes it even more risky than that is the examples of Twitter bots that I've seen. You know, and, it, and there might be, say, in this uh, example, you know, fifty responses where it's almost word for word, people saying the same thing. So that's that's you know they can manipulate it, but it's not a very sophisticated way of doing it. But if you have an AI that can generate new thoughts, you can give the AI the sentiment you want it to express. And if it had access to something like a Twitter, it could in real time create these tweets. But I'm not going to be able to do searches and find that exact same wording, right? It's going to be kind of like the, the plagiarism issue. Yeah. In that um, it, it's not that I'm matching 90% of the, of the words. Um, I won't be matching... You know, probably above fifty percent, maybe even not even that that much, but it's going to be able to very subtly slip this into conversation and manipulate people reading it. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that, that another implication just occurred to me. You know, we've talked a lot about, of course, the Twitter bots, and as you said, that's for people who take the time to do their own research and not just blindly accept whatever they see from the mainstream media. That's pretty easy to expose because you know you you put put them side by side and you find out they're all you got you know 
Clarence from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, allegedly saying the exact same verbatim paragraph tweet as, you know, Randy from, you know, Timbuktu. So it's pretty easy to see that those are artificial tweets intended to manipulate uh, opinion. But what about with, you know, news media today? Of course, we've talked extensively about Operation Mockingbird at Not By Works Ministries and how, you know, since the 50s, uh, the mainstream media has been controlled. We know that uh, explicitly because Carol Quigley exposed it uh, in uh, his book, uh, uh, Tragedy and Hope, and I talk about that in Volume 1. So there have been a lot of videos lately, uh, including Out of Shadows, that that highlight how these local news stations all across the country are reading from the same script verbatim, kind of the same idea as the Twitter verbatim tweets. Uh, and it just shows that it that it's all controlled. There's no right, left. Fox News and CNN are just two sides of the same coin. They're, it's called controlled opposition or the Hegelian dialectic. But here's a thought. What if using this technology, they can generate video reports? Because, you know, I saw another uh, link uh, just today, someone sent me. Uh, I don't think I can get back to it quickly, quickly enough here, but it talked about cloning voices, which of course has been around since the early 2000s or even sooner. Um, but where you know the media could create these video reports, and you could have hundreds of them, all slightly different, but all pushing the same lie, but they seem real because they're not simply plagiarizing and verbatim repeating the same report as we saw with with some of the operation mockingbird things um but but it's it's actually fake you know the the kind of the quintessential fake news and they don't even have to use real people they can have these videos playing with a voiceover in the background uh or they could even use AI people. I have a chapter in the book on I can't believe it's not human because they have, you know, they've created human looking AIs that you couldn't really tell were not human. So anyway, yeah, this is uh, this, as you said, is kind of the the dark side of what Satan could do with this uh, type of technology. Any other I kind of interrupted you there, but any other uh, things come to mind that that really concern you? Well, I think you're yeah, there's a lot of things in this area that concern me. The uh, I, I do want to uh, echo what you were uh, just saying here about this ability to use AIs to create artificial uh, newscasters. Um, I've seen demos where people tied together different AIs that are good at, you know, maybe one is generating text, another one is voice synthesis, another one is images, right, doing video, and created very real uh, looking talking heads um, that would interact with you. Um, and were very fluid, but, you know, much, much uh, uh, more advanced than anything. So, so once this technology becomes trusted, um, I think we're going to see um, highly customizable, personable, uh, uh, real-time newscast available where maybe I, I, I sign up for a service and I let it get to know me. And then in real time, whenever I'm ready, it could be on my mobile device, my computer, what, whatever it is. Um, it starts, just like a person, generating news for me in real time. And, you know, of course, at that point, I, I think uh, we're, we're set up very well for being deceived, with the technology being abused. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, I think that's a very real risk. Oh, no yeah. doubt. The other one, and this is going to sound much more science fiction-y, but, but I think it is a real uh, risk down the road, is, again, 
assuming this technology continues and there's no reason to think it won't, becomes pervasive, and, and we have a generation of kids that grow up with it, uh, what does that look like for them? So I'll, I'll give you uh, the background, real world background of, of where this concern of mine is coming from. Um, and it starts off as one of those good uses of AI. There's a guy who's an AI researcher, and on the side, he mentors young men who are struggling. And so he's got a young man, probably uh, in his early 20s, uh, has a uh, landscaping business. And this young man, unfortunately, is functionally illiterate. And so he was able to take uh, ChatGPT, um, hook it up through a third-party service where it could read this guy's Gmail. And so there's an example of a customer sending him a request uh, stating that uh, she needs him to do work, you know, in a week on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., something like that. And so the AI also got to know how this young man communicated. And so it took his response to her request, which I can't even, it was so bad, I can't even repeat it for you. Not bad, like profanity but it was just so grammatically poor, I, I can't remember what it was. And it took that and crafted and formatted a professional looking email response in Gmail forum um, and was able to just get it to where, I, I don't think it sent it automatically, um, but he got to, you know, I guess, prove it and then click send. And and that's a, that's a great application. But what happens if it doesn't matter how I communicate? Right, if there's an AI that can take whatever I throw at it and communicate it so that you can understand it, at some point, going back to that scenario of kids growing up underneath this, do they even need to learn structured language? Mm. Do they do they do they need to learn English or whatever their native language is, or can they come at the AI with whatever they choose to to use for language, but the AI gets to know them well enough that it can then translate that. And, and then at that point, we become very isolated and can then absolutely be manipulated by an AI system. Oh, no doubt. I mean, when you're when you're isolated, independent like that, you're a sitting duck uh, for deception. And, you know, already, even before this technology, we're seeing examples of this. I mean, I've said for years in my conferences that if you go to foxnews.com or CNN.com, everything you see on that page, literally is either a paid for by someone who wants you to cover a story for a, a, an ulterior motive or even if it's a real-time news event like a, an explosion or a fire or something like that there are agendas behind it and the reason that they're doing it the way they are so there is no such thing as objective news anymore and a lot of people what, what fox news and cnn will do is at the bottom of their page they'll put what is clearly uh, described as paid advertisements, like click here to learn why you should eat three bananas a day, you know, that kind of a thing, right? Those, those crazy stuff, the clickbait stuff. And, but what people, by doing it that way, people sort of think, oh, well, above the line is legitimate, trustworthy facts. Below the line is just, you know, ads. No, it's all ads. That's what people don't understand. But, you know, if Satan is going to be able to deceive the whole world, which is the, what the book of Revelation tells us he will do during the tribulation period. It's, he, you know, and, and we also know deception is getting worse and worse, 2 Timothy 3.13, then this type of application could be, could really 
uh, you know, help him accomplish that in, you know, powerful, powerful ways, because remember, he's not omniscient. And, that, and I think that's why first John, the, the apostle John tells us in the same passage where he talks about how the spirit of the antichrist is already at work in the world. First John four, three, which is the premise for my two volume series. He also says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, uh, you know, as you said, you, we're, we're if the Lord tarries is coming, and this is rolled out, you know, before the rapture, we're going to be dealing with raising our, our Christian children and grandchildren in an environment where it is becoming harder and harder and harder to differentiate fact from fiction. Am I right? Absolutely. I I, I think, uh, like I said, at first, you know, we're going to see uh, mostly good uses of this technology. Okay, it'll it'll be a benefit to a large number of people. Um, but after that trust has been established, that's when the manipulation is is a real real risk. Yeah. Did you watch? Uh, have you had a chance to watch the new uh, Left Behind movie that came out? I have not. I have not. No. Yeah. So Wendy and I went to it, and um, I won't take the time to give full commentary on it. I've talked about it in other podcasts. But one thing that was uh, very intriguing to me was the way in which they cast the reaction of the world and especially the global leaders uh, to the rapture, which they call the vanishing, and how again and again they used media and mainstream news sources to debunk it. And they kept saying, hey, we debunked the rapture theory on day one, and no, nobody believes that. Only an idiot would believe this was an act of God rescuing Christians and so forth. Um, and then you know, they they roll out technology that's really snatched from the headlines as kind of things that we saw uh, even recently with the uh, the pandemic, uh, where you know you're, they were able to manipulate people's thinking. Even down to in the movie, they they claim that there's a second vanishing, and which in the movie the c characters that are believers that got saved after the rapture they question that because nobody knows anybody that was vanished a sec you know that that, that was part of that second vanishing and and it, it the implication very clearly in the movie is that this was something the globalists were making up to further their agenda that hey we're under attack you know this is some kind of extraterrestrial thing or wormhole and we need to be prepared and come together under one world system but anyway it, with this second vanishing you know they they actually show or talk about how they showed on the mainstream media's outlets the counter, the ticker showing how many people were were vanishing. Well, what does that remind you of? You know, the same kind of propaganda we got during the uh, uh, during the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, no question that um, this is a setting of the stage. And boy, I got to tell you, Shane, my my head is spinning. This has been frankly, one of the most powerful podcasts I think I've ever done. I'm not exaggerating. This is for such a time as this. Um, I hope our listeners will will share this far and wide because you have such a way of sort of distilling it down to the to the facts and the nuts and bolts and, you know, a balanced approach, recognizing, of course, that technology brings with it a lot of, you know, uh, advantages and great blessings. I mean, you know, when we went through the change, you know, back in the first industrial revolution and and all of that. There were a lot of good things that came out of that, you know, like indoor plumbing and penicillin. I mean, those are not all bad things, but at the same time, we we these are the great last days of deception, and Satan is is certainly um, using these tools to kind of fill up his arsenal 
with the kinds of tools he will need to uh, spread a global full spectrum deception in which he can control the world. So um, thanks so much for being with us. You are a blessing. I, I would love to have you on again as we have other uh, topics and, and questions about these types of things. But uh, boy, I sure appreciate you. God bless you. And uh, to our listeners, uh, don't forget to uh, to tune in tomorrow night as we continue our discussion of uh, how the stage is being set prophetically for the return of the Lord. And uh, be sure and spread this podcast far and wide so that people will kind of understand when they see all of these news items related to this type of AI and, and, and chat GPT, really what we're talking about here. Thanks again, Shane, for being with us. Thank you. God bless. God bless.